Mario. In three, two, one. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage the expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You'll never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Yet. <laughs> that looked so freaking good. I don't know if uh, if any of you have seen it yet or not, but I honestly cannot wait. And that is actually the first movie that I have wanted to see in a minute. I'll be honest with you. I, um, I gosh, I can't remember the last time I went to the theater to watch a movie. Not just because of the era of COVID. I mean, that definitely had a lot to do with it. But also simply because I cannot sit still in a movie like I once could. And I always told Jim, and I'm like, okay, if, if I'm going to go to the movies, it's got to be something that is truly, truly special and worth doing. And I think that Top Gun uh, Maverick might be it. And, you know, it's interesting. So the response to this film is something I don't think anyone saw coming. I remember whenever I first saw the first trailer for it, and it was almost like, again, it was kind of in the middle of COVID, and, and the, the release kept getting uh, postponed. And I was like, is this real? Is this really going to happen? And is it going to go straight to streaming or whatever? And that's what I want to talk about, about how this has come, this, the whole thing has been pulled off, which is really awesome. When I saw all of that, I was like, okay, is this really going to happen? And I don't think anyone could have imagined that this film would be so 
well received. I mean, even the original Top Gun, it is an iconic movie. It's it's one of those films that's just like in the American psyche. Even if you haven't seen it, when somebody says Maverick and Goose, you know what they're talking about. When somebody says, I, I feel the need for speed, you know what they're talking about. When they say they're going to buzz the tower, you know what they're talking about. You don't have to have seen the movie. It's just that iconic, and it's that part, that much ingrained into American pop culture, right? And so when this one came out, it was like, well, it's probably going to have a cheese factor. And, and But two, how do you do a sequel to this film? And that's what's so unbelievable about it. So let's talk about some of the components that I don't think this could have happened where one— Tom Cruise not involved. If this does not show, and I get it, there are haters of Tom Cruise in both Hollywood as well as just the population at large. He's 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 a little eccentric. He's different. But, you know, let's face it, Tom Cruise is just anything but a normal dude, and he has the career to show that. You don't get to be Tom Cruise. At, by the way, I think his first movie, was it All the Right Moves? When he was like 16, I think. And then, so we forget about early Tom Cruise. We think about Risky Business, Top Gun, and then after Top Gun, it was just boom, off to the races. But there was Taps. There was uh, The Outsiders. There was, um, you know, all, all the Right Moves. Then Risky Business. I mean, the guy has been around in Hollywood and on movie screens for basically my almost my entire life uh as long as long as I've been watching movies he may be you know I think someone said this I can't remember who it was that said he may be the last true movie star that's out there I mean you know as much as I like some of today's actors they're not there's only one Tom Cruise and and so but still I don't think anyone anticipated I think this national longing that we have for just being able to all get together and, and, and see, it's almost weird. And guys, I do not want to be cynical. I do not want, this is the best Friday ever, right? I mean, that's what we do here. And, and by the way, I'm Jason Wright. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, best Friday ever. Um, I'm always going to try to be upbeat and positive. I don't want to sound cynical, but you know, there's just been this whole mood of like, is not okay to wave an American flag? And, you know, is it really okay to say that the American military is something to be proud of? And of course I am, I am so proud of this country. I'm so proud of America. I'm so proud of our military and the, the men and women who defend our freedoms. And to see a film that is not preaching from, from, and that's what has blown me away. I, I, I have been listening for, the, you know, the, the, the boogeyman around from around the, behind the tree that's going to jump out and go, ah, you know, yeah, the movie's good, but get ready for this. And I mean, I haven't heard it. It has been universally praised as a good movie. It is, it's fun. The supposedly the, uh, and just like that, that trailer that I just played you guys. And those of you watching on YouTube that you've probably seen it already. Um, Supposedly, the 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 footage and is just unbelievable, and the sound the the sounds are supposed to be just out of this world. It's a good story, and here's the thing too: this is a sequel that has been over thirty years in the making that you couldn't have made right away, right? It just wouldn't have worked. It has taken this long to make this story so cool. Miles Teller as Goose's son. Again, if you had told me that Miles Teller would have been the uh, the guy that's going to play Goose's son. I would be like, really? Miles Teller? That 
that's that does okay. I like Miles Teller, good actor, but huh. And then you see him in these previews, and it's like, oh my gosh, they pulled that off. It looks like freaking Anthony Edwards' son. Um, and so it's it's I think that the the, the timing of it is perfect too. America needs this movie. America needs just uh, something that was put out to entertain us, to just give us some relief, to just say, hey, go have fun, and at least for an hour and a half or so, 90 minutes or so, enjoy Americana. And I think that is so cool. I am so excited. I would actually like to take my dad to see this movie. He and I are both Top Gun fans from, I mean, I was 11 when this movie came out. So I even had, I tried to mimic uh, Lieutenant Pete's uh, 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 hairdo. I wanted Lieutenant Pete Mitchell's hairdo. And, uh, And so I was a pretty big Top Gun fan. And my dad, We that was a movie. I just, for some reason, I have... This memory of all the times I've seen the movie, and I have no idea how many times that's been. It's been a ton, but there's just this one time where I remember it was a Sunday afternoon. We're all lying around in the living room, and we were watching Top Gun, and I had the Top Gun video game. I don't know what that was. that Nintendo that had the Top Gun game where it was really hard to land on the aircraft carrier until you mastered it. That was fun. Uh, whenever you hear that... Boom, at the very first of the movie, whenever the opening scene uh, opens up and it's all those kind of hazy images on the aircraft carrier and then Danger Zone fires up, it's still to this day it, one of the best movie intros ever. And it seems by all accounts that they just captured all of the first film without just making it kind of a look back. It's like a, a homage to the original with a new film that is entertaining, has its own storyline from what I'm told. And I'm going to find out for myself. I'm actually this, I'm going to go to the theaters maybe this weekend to see it. There's a baby shower at my house this uh, weekend, this Sunday. So I think that's a perfect reason to go see Top Gun. Now let's talk a little bit about Tom Cruise. So funny thing. So if you notice about uh, the, the movie poster, just go check it out. Go Google the, the movie poster for the last probably, I'd say, 20 Tom Cruise movies. You'll see something unusual on those posters that you don't see on many others. You'll see Tom Cruise above the title of the film. That is by design. Tom Cruise demands that his name be on the movie poster above the actual movie title. So it is a Tom Cruise movie called Maverick. It is a Tom Cruise movie called Mission Impossible. This guy is larger than life, and I think that he has proven that with this movie. It's crazy. Again, even the people that generally don't like Tom Cruise, I have not heard one person. In Hollywood, from what I understand, and I'm certainly no insider, uh, I'm just a podcast host, right? <laughs> so I don't have any scoop. But just from you know watching over the years, it turns out a lot of people don't care for Tom Cruise in Hollywood. But you're seeing him just get praised from top to bottom uh, for, I think, I think Tom Cruise may have single-handedly saved Hollywood. And here's why. One, I think that, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm anecdotal, but I'm one 
former movie. I'm a movie lover. Jimlin, whenever we got married, she had never she she knew Pretty Woman. That was her favorite movie. Okay, so that that shows you the depth of her. It's a great great film, but I mean, you know, of all the movies that have been made, Casablanca, you know, Giant, you, you name it, all these great films over the years. Um, Pretty Woman is her only movie, but I've introduced her to a slew of independent films. You know, uh, I haven't gotten into Quentin Tarantino yet. I don't think she'd like the Tarantino films. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm a movie buff. I love movies. And so it's been kind of just a shame over this, um, whatever we're going through in America. Again, I don't want to get all, certainly not political. I don't want to get cynical. But uh, if if you haven't noticed that movies are not what they once were and that, I remember whenever we would get excited about watching the Academy Awards. It would, and I don't even know why. As I look back on it, it was funny. It was like you would you go watch a movie that you loved. Like I remember watching like L.A. Confidential, or or one of those movies that you know back when Forrest Gump was was Best Picture or Gladiator. You go see these movies, and it was just like this incredible experience. And you watch, and you pull for it. You, you would want these directors and these actors, you'd want your movie to win. You know, you would root for that movie to win. I, I, I remember my family would all get together and we would watch the Academy Awards. It was like we were rooting for our team. You know, I hope that, uh, I remember when Jeffrey Rush won his Academy Award for Shine, this random kind of cool art, not artsy, but just like a, a movie that was not a big blockbuster and and Jeffrey Rush it was like a really when the real serious movies, uh, one of those real serious movies that came out that uh, that won an Academy Award. And I remember I was pulling for it, and it was so fun to pull for the movies. Well, you know, again, I don't have to tell you why. You couldn't pay me to watch the Academy Awards now. I mean, I just no way, not happening. And then of course this year, you know what happened? It's like yeah, I think that just pretty much explained that. Just the whole Chris Rock Will Smith thing pretty much sums up Hollywood in these days. And so for a movie lover like me to get to have a movie to be excited to go see, I got to tell you, it's pretty awesome. I am, I'm excited. And I think that why, the, the reason why I think if these other producers and directors pay attention to what is happening with Maverick, um, they now have a license to make a, a film that is purely Americana. It's okay. I mean, Tom Cruise and Top Gun have proven there's still not only a an audience, but a massive audience for just good, entertaining, pro-American, pro-hero, whatever you want to call it, films. $160 million opening weekend. That's insane. Tom Cruise, the guy that one of the biggest movie stars that has ever walked planet Earth, his biggest weekend opening ever. And so I think that, and another thing, another funny story about Tom Cruise. I don't know if you, you guys are, some of you listening are probably not even old enough to remember this. There used to be this show called The Pickup Artist, which I think it was on like VH1 or MTV. It was this cheesy show about this guy called Mystery that would um, host these clinics, essentially like in hotels and stuff, and teach socially inept guys that were either local, they had they didn't have much confidence or whatever the case was, they were just kind of social misfits. He would teach them how to attract women. And Neil Strauss, uh, who was, I guess at the time, uh, a reporter, 
he ended up going in and following mystery and befriending mystery and all these guys that would um, that would you know teach these classes. He kind of he hung out with. I think he like lived with them for a year to write this book called The Game. I think it's I think it's called The Game. It, I, I read it and it's it's really entertaining. Okay, it's really entertaining and um, and I read it and there is a portion of the book where Neil Strauss mentions meeting Tom Cruise. It's been a while since I read it, so I can't remember. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially what he said was that Tom Cruise was the ultimate alpha male. I mean, that like when Tom Cruise walks into a room, everyone else step aside. That room belongs to Tom Cruise. And so seeing this movie come out and just blowing up like it has and knowing it's Tom Cruise behind it, it makes me want to kind of dig in and do a little more research on Tom Cruise because I know the whole Scientology stuff and the, the, all the, the caricature that is Tom Cruise. But the bottom line is I'm a guy, I mean, hey, the motto is improve always and always. And I think he's 59 years old. The dude's nearly 60. Okay, I'm 47. I'm knocking on his door as far as age. And I can only hope that I age that well and that when I'm 59, you know, I guess in six months, he's going to be able to tap into his 401k and bless his heart. I know he needs it, but he's going to need that to supplement his Medicare. Um, so I hope that when I'm 59 years old, that um, I'm still able to pull off like the greatest feats of my entire career. Pretty impressive. So uh, anyway, that's, I just had to talk about Top Gun and I'm going to go see it. If you go see it, tell me what you think. And, uh, and let me know. I think, again, I think this could be the movie that it, it may save Hollywood. Because Hollywood, I don't, I don't I mean, with the streaming services and everything like that. And it's really sad to me. I mean, I, besides the fact that, you know, I don't like to be preached to. And I don't like the virtue signaling and this, 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 this self-righteousness that the, the actors and actresses have. And the disdain for just, seemingly for just normal people like me. Um. Uh, I just miss really good stories and some escapism to just go uh, go check out something fun. So I'm excited that maybe that this will um, allow for some more stuff to um, to come out. So we'll see. All right, let's talk about some headlines. Hey, did y'all see that Johnny Depp won his deal? I didn't watch any of this trial, uh, but. I got to tell you, again, another weird thing. It's, uh, first of all, I don't watch any of the Pirates of the Caribbean, talking about movies. I've never seen one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, I love the ride at Disney World, but I've never watched any of the movies. Uh, but this was kind of a weird thing. We had some, uh, one girl in particular who was kind of like our local resident that works for us up at um, at Hot Tots, and she was keeping us posted. And then, and I honestly... I, one, I don't care about stuff like that. I'm just not getting caught up in a trial between, you know, of this sort. But that's pretty insane that uh, Johnny Depp pulled that off. And uh, and then, let's see here. I wanted to talk to you. Oh, there is, this is kind of wild. Did you hear that there is a city of gold that has been discovered? A lost city of gold discovered by a mineral company. Let's see, I wanted to, I just thought this was kind of random. I thought I'd share it. A Canadian mineral company has discovered that it has that has, has reported, declared, that it has discovered a lost city of gold in South America. The lost city of uh, 
Lagroño de los Caballeros, I like that. I think I think I did pretty well on that. Is thought by some to be the site of an ancient gold camp. Metron is pleased to have, or Metron, I guess that's the name of the company, is pleased to have helped find the historic gold city of Longrano de los Caballeros. Dr. Lawrence Stone, chief scientist of Metron Incorporated, which worked with the mineral company Ariana, stated the success of this effort is another example of the power of Bayesian search theory, which has been used to find sunken ships and aircraft, as well as vessels and people missing at sea. I just thought that was random, that there's a lost city of gold. And then also, I thought this was a, I came across this. Okay, if you guys want to check out a really good yet random blog about finances, Mr. Money Mustache. It is a phenomenal read. And one of the things that, the reason why I wanted to bring it to you guys, and because it fits in so well with the improve always and always mantra, is I think that it, it makes sense that you don't have to be a day trader or whatever, but managing your finances can be just as simple as determining that you're going to do things that don't require as much finance, that don't require as much money. And I think Mr. Money Mustache, uh, which I guess the, I guess just, just do a Google search on Mr. Money Mustache. It might just be uh, Mr. Money Mustache.blog. I can't remember what the actual uh, link is. But he wrote a blog that I thought was cool because I don't really plan to ever retire. I hope to God that I'm able to do this and, and write and speak and, and teach courses and do the things I love to do well into uh, my 70s and 80s. But, and, but to do that, you know, Part of being able to quote unquote retire early, like I actually semi retired almost 10 years ago. And here's what I mean by that I, it's not because I was independently wealthy by any means, but I had enough uh, to get to make some choices that allowed me to not have to just stay at the grind uh, forever. And that's why I'm able to do the fun stuff that I do, like the podcast and all that. And so, by God's grace, I kind of figured this out. And I want to bring this to you guys because. I'm an anecdotal example of what you can do when you start to just really kind of simplify your life and try to find happiness and joy in creating and experiences. And so I want to read a little bit of this to you. Um, I propose that you keep right on working well after your retirement date. And in an ideal world, you keep working right up until the last day of your life. Only then and with the satisfaction of countless decades of doing your best, is it really worthwhile to take the final rest? If this sounds like a prescription for a living hell, the problem is not with my proposal. It's with your de definition of what work really is. That's the key, I'm telling you. The problem is likely that you are doing work because you need the money rather than for the joy of getting the most out of each of your days. And there really is a better way. How retired people work. These days, I seem to know quite a few financially independent people. They come out of the woodwork once you start writing a blog about the idea, and we end up keeping in touch because we have much in common. They are fun friends to have, plus it's, a handy, it's handy to have someone with whom to share a mountain bike ride on Monday or beers with on Wednesday. According to their own definition, they no longer need to work for money because their investments over their usually below average spending, at, because their wait a minute, investments cover their usually below average spending. And yet, 
at the present moment, almost all of them are still doing the things that look like working. A couple of them are still charging away at expanding their companies. Others are still productive and writing books or investing and helping others start companies of their own. Even I get accused of not being retired on the grounds of their of either carpentry or writing. But there's a reason behind all of this work, the, the activity, and it's not money. The rule of free. Okay, this to me, all right, listen, this was the money part of the entire thing. I think this was so good. Uh, let me find this where he goes. Uh, For the first few years after retirement, I found myself counting old money habits without questioning them or continuing, excuse me, continuing old money habits without questioning them. Like everyone, I'm way more habit-bound than I like to admit. And besides, if money is good, then more must be better, right? The problem was that these habits were costing me some freedom. And that's the key. It's money saps freedom or the need for money saps freedom. So when you have a bunch of stuff, you kind of build like a a cage for yourself. And so that's something to be weary of. When opportunities came up to earn little chunks of income, I would tend to go out of my way to accept them. When spending decisions came up, I would stress unnecessarily to optimize each one. I found myself agonizing over whether to add a $14.50 order of delicious Baigan Barta, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, excuse me, I don't eat Indian food, to the order of Indian takeout when the bill was already approaching $40. Habits like these are very healthy when you are still earning your independence. It is the double-sided optimization that gets you to financial freedom. 30 to 40 years ahead of everyone else, so the reward on effort is very high. However, once you have enough money, getting even more doesn't do you much good at all. Did you guys know that by the time you make, in the the United States of America, by the time you make $75,000 a year, that's kind of the magic number, Anything over 75000 is almost nominal as it relates to your happiness. Up to seventy five, like if you go from $50,000 to $60,000, you will see the happy needle move because basically you, your, your, your needs, your basic needs are met with more ease, so you actually get happier. When you go from 60 to 70 again, the happy meter kind of, kind of gets, it, it moves quite a bit. But going from 75000 to 100000 hardly no movement in happiness at all. And the reason is because most people can get most of their basic needs met at seventy-five k per year. So once you get to a certain point, you don't have to make that much more money to really find happiness. So here's what he does. And I think this is really cool. I wanted to put this theoretical freedom into practice. I forced myself to adopt two new rules. And this is really cool. I try to make all spending decisions as if the price were zero. And I make all work and income decisions as if the wage were zero. But doesn't this lead to infinite consumption and zero work? For the beginner consumer, most definitely. But by the time we are truly ready for early retirement, these guidelines should lead to almost exactly the same life that you already have. The key is that both factors become magically self-regulating if you understand what truly makes you happy. I've learned that more stuff does not bring more happiness. Amen to that. 
As you add belongings, your stuff just starts to own you. Even upgrading the highest quality versions of existing stuff doesn't help. I could swap my 10-year-old Scion uh, XA for a new Tesla P85D with just the spare change in my wallet at this point. But this upgrade would probably make me slightly less happy because I'd have to watch the beautiful machine fading in the hot sun and being sat upon by birds while I felt guilty for not driving it enough to justify the price. That This is one of the reasons why I've gotten over cars. Guys, I drive an old Jeep now, paid for it, don't owe a penny on it. It's nothing nice. It's just a blacked out Jeep and Jimlin can't stand it. But you know what? I don't care what happens to it. I don't want anybody to come take a baseball bat to it, but if they did, I probably wouldn't care that much. It's so nice driving places and not caring about what happens to your car. There's just a freedom in that. And then plus having it paid for, that to me, everything, I have learned that every automobile I have that is paid for just seems to run a little better. Um, Let's see. But buying tools that let you accomplish things that can be much more satisfying than buying luxury toys uh, can be much more satisfying, yes, than buying luxury toys. For me, the mean this means physical power tools. And like for me, it means like I'm shopping for a new camera right now that you can't get anywhere because Sony is sold out and because apparently we have a logistics problem and a supply chain problem and in the world, but uh, but that's what I spend most of my money on now is microphones and stuff like this because it feeds into building, as you've heard on this show before, building my birdhouse, which is this podcast, every single week. On the work side of the equation, the philosophy is reversed. My best days are the ones where I accomplish something truly difficult, preferably in both mental and physical realms. And my worst days are those that I spend sitting around. So I've learned to work as if, uh, to work I've learned that work is an incredibly powerful source of happiness. The key is that it must be creative, social and engineering work that brings you towards a purpose you believe in. And then the the article goes on, but the main point I wanted to make for you guys is this. I hope, my hope for you is that in, in you, as you endeavor to hopefully improve always and always, that you will be much more experienced and creative in, in what you do as opposed to, uh, always seeking pleasure. It, it, it turns out I was in, uh, I guess it was in The Art of Impossible. Research showed that people who have grit tend to go after things that are harder, and they, as a result, have a longer, more sustainable amount of overall joy and happiness. So if you decide to, like my buddy Jordan Selleck, who's now running an Ironman, it seems like, every other month or every other week, then that's hard, hard work. That takes grit. But I can tell you, he and his wife and children that are all involved in this, they are some of the happiest people that I've ever witnessed. They just, they, they're enjoying it. They're having long-term happiness. So you know, and they have this choice. They can go seek pleasure by buying some stuff, going out to nice rich dinners or buying new clothes or cars or they can go run for miles and miles and bike and swimming and then go on these and have these experiences as a family along the way that leads to long-term happiness so as i was looking through that i was like i thought man i got to share that with uh these folks to uh to just encourage you encourage you to go out and 
find that birdhouse to build. Go build something. You know, and for me, I've got a new book that I'm about to have published, and it has been an absolute beatdown. I mean, I've talked about it on the show before, The Stone Chiseler. It's, 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 it's inspired by Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and it has been an absolute beatdown getting it to the point where I'm actually ready to publish it. There's been so much just last-minute work. But I can tell you that I'm not getting paid a penny to do it, and it will not be a New York Times bestseller. That's not the object of it. It, but it was. It's so fun. It's be such a sense of accomplishment. And and I keep telling Jimlin every time you know there was one little hurdle that I had to overcome to get the book ready. And every once in a while, I'll be sitting around, I go, oh, I'm just so happy I got that done. And I, I I hope that you will go find something that moves you to pursue. Because let me tell you something. I've mentioned it before on this show. In C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, he mentions the fact that that's essentially what will happen almost every time. Joy is something that sneaks up on you. You can't just pursue joy for joy's sake. You can't just wake up and go, hmm, you know what, today I'm going to go get me some joy. If there were a formula for it, then we would all execute the formula. But there's not. Usually, like what Mr. Money Mustache is saying, usually you find it in the weirdest places. You're working hard. You're being creative. You're moving. You're out in the sunshine. You're swinging a hammer. Or you're riding up on a page. or You're doing something that to everyone else looks like work and seems like work. But if you've matched your gifts and your talents with that task, then all of a sudden, joy will sneak up on you. And so that is my hope for all of you. All right, just for the fun of it, I thought I would take us out with some crazy stats that I found. You know, I'm, I'm trying to look more into just data. I want to understand more about human nature and what, what's going on in the world. And, and plus just I don't know. It's, it's cool stats or crazy stats just kind of trip me out. They're just, I think it's, um, it's fun to check them out. So did you know that the average American eats 13 pounds of ice cream every year? That's insane. Uh, fewer than 25% of, this made me kind of sad, fewer than 25% of Americans meet the guidelines for physical activity. Folks, and also, while I didn't, I didn't put this in here, but I was listening to on, I think it was on the Huberman Lab, on Andrew Huberman's podcast, where he was talking to Dr. I can't remember her first name, but her, her, her last name is Suzuki. And she was talking about just how you can enhance your mood. And it's almost like the, the minimum input is a 10-minute walk. Guys, if you are in a bad mood, if you are feeling depressed, if the walls are closing in on you, get up, go outside, and in as little as 10 minutes. Now, this is not enough. Don't just let 10 minutes be your daily movement. But if you will get up and move, and preferably look at some sunshine, look up, but walk for 10 minutes, you're, you, it will have a physiological impact on you and a neurological impact on you that is so very positive. So whenever you're feeling depressed, whenever you're at your, at your desk, and all of a sudden your shoulders start kind of getting up around your ears, Get out and walk for 10 minutes. It is such a game changer. All right. The average person could 
feel, oh, this is kind of gross, but it was like, wow. The average person could feel as many as 23, 23, this is so gross, two-liter bottles with the amount of saliva they produce in a month. Can you believe that? That's insane. That's a lot of spit. Oh, my God. Uh, two out of five Americans can't name a single freedom protected by the First Amendment. Wow. Two out of five. That's a scary one, too. And look, here's what I suggest, too, on, on this point. I'm actually going to write an article about this, and I want to mention this to you. So someone said recently that, and I thought this made great sense. I can't remember where I heard it. But, you know, we hear our national leaders spewing all this stuff about the state of America and the state of politics and all this stuff, whatever. Whatever politicians are saying, that is not, that's not what creates culture. You don't have a bunch of politicians in Washington, D.C. actually shaping culture. They are the symptom of our culture. That's all they are. The stuff that they scream and yell about is just symptomatic of their constituency. That's it. You and I, we are the determinants of the culture. So if you're constantly looking to Washington, D.C. to try to see where culture is going, just stop. Instead, bring it to the local level. Bring it to your family, to your circle of friends, and be willing to, in, the, in, the, in those instances where you love people, be able to practice free speech. Be able to, that, that two out of five Americans don't know what's protected by the First Amendment. Well, you and I, we have the freedom to speak our minds. And look, right now, yep, it, uh, it, see, it would seem that some free speech is under attack. But it shouldn't be in your own house and amongst your own friends. And so if you want to change the culture, if you don't like the what's happening in your community or whatever, I suggest that you don't be dogmatic. Uh, that's In my younger age, my gosh, I was the guy that if you started talking politics at dinner, I was going to, I was going to come at you like a rabid dog. Don't make some stupid, flippant comment that's uneducated and uninformed in front of me. You're going to have to defend your argument. I, I, I was just, I was terrible. I was in New York City one time, and one of my friends, I was getting in this argument with some New Yorker at a bar about politics. And uh, my buddy pulled me away and said, Jason, you've got to stop. You're going to have a heart attack. At the time, I was like 26 years old. And he was probably right. If I had kept it up, I probably would have. But now I'm to the point where, and this is the thing, and it doesn't need to be, we, we get so fixated on the people that, we naturally, we know we disagree with, right? We have those friends that are on the other side of the political aisle. But yet you know as well as I do, there are people that are on your quote-unquote side of the aisle that say some stuff, but we don't want to ruffle feathers, and we're afraid to just stand up and go, you know, I, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with what you just said. And I think that we need to be more willing to say that in a kind, loving way. You know, I don't agree with you. And then also, with all the craziness that's going on in the world, I highly, highly, highly recommend you stop and just go, you know what, look. Draw the circle and look at the things that are in the circle that 
you actually have an impact on and focus on that. Let that circle grow outward. And then I guess it was, you know, Gandhi who said, be the change you want to see in the world. You know, Marcus Aurelius who said, stop talking about what a good man is, instead be one. You know, we get so, you know, make your own bed. You know, if, if, you, if your house is a mess, don't go start trying to rearrange the world. This may sound selfish and self-serving, but I think that we, we have to remember that, like this individual said, culture is changed at the local level. It's, it's changed first in our hearts and in our minds. And then we, we articulate and we support them by our actions and our words. And then anything that happens in Washington, D.C. or whatever, those are just symptoms. Those are just symptoms of basically people just um, accepting and turning a blind eye. So I highly encourage you to, uh, to take the time to just speak up in a loving way and so if, you, if you don't agree with something. And so whenever I read that two in five Americans don't know what is supported by the, uh, the First Amendment, that, was, that kind of made me think, you know, maybe we need to speak up a little and use our free speech in a very positive and constructive way. Well, hey, folks, I hope that this makes your Friday a little bit better. Thank you for joining me. And it sounds to me like what would make this a great weekend would be to go see Maverick. And please tune in to The Jason Wright Show this week where I have Lindsay LaCroix talking about epigenetics and some of that, those sorts of things. Go out to jasonrightnow.com, please, and subscribe to The Vitruvian Letter and read this week's first installment of The Tao of Benjamin Franklin. And until we get meet again... Endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out.